1: Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
2: What's up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We talked a lot about the Rebels' win over Georgia Tech. As the schedule begins to get real, we took a look ahead to Alabama and also took a look around the SEC. And of course, at the end, the fastest growing segment on American soil, Soccer Corner. So buckle up. Think you'll enjoy the conversation about the 3-0 Rebels in inarguably their biggest game of the season, waiting just six days away. So think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry Unit is located off Altator Road, just a less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It sleeps, ate comfortably. It is gated. It has amenities such as a tennis courts, sauna. It's a great place to be. It can be hard to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on big weekends. Maybe you're just coming through for a business trip. Hey, maybe you're coming up for a midweek basketball game. You got the basketball season tickets coming up. There's all kinds of availability, including Vanderbilt Weekend for Football. Check them out. Rentthesipoxford.com. Bracken Ray, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It is a prime location, less than a mile from campus. Straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught Hemingway Stadium. And of course, an easy walk to the pavilion as well. You need to check it out today. Go to rentthesipoxford.com to check availabilities. If you use the promo code Rippy rights, R I P P E E rights, R I T E S, that'll get you 100 bucks off any two night minimum stay. Please check this out. Don't miss out on the opportunity. You always hear about it, it's hard to find a place in Oxford. I'm giving you one in a prime location at a terrific price. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Podcast is also brought to you by C Spire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves on having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is an award winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. CSpire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. CSpire is proud to announce the release of their new 2-gigabit and 8-gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com and use the promo code Rippy R-I-P-P-E-E, for one month of free service. That's right. You're going to get the best internet on the market. I use it. Can't be having bad internet doing the podcast and all the other stuff we got going on here. It's the best in the market. And just for listening to this podcast and using the promo code Rippy, you're going to get a month of free service. Take advantage of that today. CSpire customer inspired. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. The Rebels defeat Georgia Tech. I actually forgot the score. That's not great podcasting to start out here, but uh, 40-something to 20-something. There we go, 48-23. It's there still it. only game three, uh, and now the schedule stiffens up. What's up, man? How are you? Um, we were talking earlier, re watch the, re-watch the game this morning, but uh, this feels like the last uh, pop quiz to steal a phrase from Neil. as it's about to get real now.
1: No, definitely. Uh, I'm doing good. People can't see me on the camera, but got quite a bit of bedhead. Just woke up from a pretty fantastic nap. Um, after driving back in from Austin this weekend, we went to a bachelor party for our buddies, who uh, whose cousin plays for a certain football team in burnt orange. So we went to the football game Saturday nights uh got to see a little bit of the Rebs they have a pretty cool Ole Miss bar there that we hung out with after the game and everything so I'm up to speed but uh you know another weekend another one where it's <laughs> it's a it's a pretty tiring Sunday to say the least
2: yeah I know exactly what you mean but those uh those naps are always prime time so I guess we'll start here what was your overall thought of how the, it was a very weird game there was not a ton of flow to it very it was- weird game It was like Georgia Tech held the ball for two-thirds of the game. They held the ball for 39 minutes and change. Ole Miss was only up 10-3 to at halftime, but I didn't think they played terribly. It was a lot of bend, but didn't completely break on defense. I had a hard time getting a read on the game, but it just felt like, again, the last prelude to your first real, real challenge conference play starting and them trying to figure some stuff out out about themselves as well as figure some stuff out due to injuries is the overall takeaway I had.
1: No, definitely. I mean, just the way the game flow ended up, it it was kind of like a bizarre, you know, pattern of stats and scores and time of possession. It was just kind of all over the place, which what you get in college football, like you get games like this, uh, especially with teams going for a fourth down and getting it or not getting it. The numbers are very skewed, Um, but I thought Ole Miss played well. Um, I didn't think they were perfect by any means. I mean, you talk about defensively, they are bending as far as they can bend without breaking against a lot of these teams. Um, and I guess we'll get into that a little bit more when it comes to Alabama. Uh, offensively, for the amount of guys that are injured and the offensive line issues and your best player, you know, was assumed to be doubtful, but ended up playing. I mean, it's pretty hard to be frustrated with what went on there. Uh, I know they only had 10 points at the first half. But like we said, just a weird game flow. It's not like they were, you know, playing poorly necessarily. And then, of course, Trig dropped a fourth down touchdown there i guess that was in like the either mid first or mid second quarter i can't exactly remember what point of the game that was um you know they still have a lot to work on they still have to get healthy um uh, which is just an obvious thing it's something that we said for two weeks now um and i know it got kind of squirrely there but it was really never in doubt and in college football and really just in football in general it's just about winning the game and especially a game like this where you know you have such a massive matchup ahead Just getting out of there, getting healthy and working on a few things is exactly what you needed to see, and I thought they did that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we'll start off there, like particularly offensively. Judkins, he had a rib injury, it sounded like, all week and to the point where it didn't sound like he was going to play. I was actually fairly shocked when he trotted it out on the field um, before the game. I saw him run out of the tunnel, and then particularly when he came out on the field for the game's first drive, just because, look, we, we all know Kiffin's deal with Chris Lowe. Um, you know, if he, if he's putting something out there, you probably know who it's coming from. And he put out there that you know Ole Miss was going to be out with a couple guys, and that uh, it was a game time decision for Clint John Judkins, which that led me to think, okay, he's probably not going to play. Goes out there, toughs it out. Kevin gave him a lot of credit. He mentioned that multiple times in his post game press conference after talking about Judkins going out there and playing physical and playing through some pain. Wasn't a night to write home about for him? 13 carries for 37 yards, although the rest of the run game collectively was actually pretty good for Ole Miss. They averaged eight yards rush. They ran it 37 times for 299 yards and five of their touchdowns came via the running game. I imagine some of that is still the offensive line struggling a little bit up front and uh, Judkins getting met at the line of scrimmage at, you know a lot more frequently than he was. Last year, and I just imagine some of that, too, is not wanting to rod Judkins with sore ribs the week before you play Alabama. It's probably a mix of the two. But I thought he played fine, even though his stat total wasn't great.
1: Yeah, no, I-, I thought he did what he needed to do. I think they ran dart a ton and, you know, using Judkins as kind of a decoy, whether it's him or Bentley, is perfectly fine in this case scenario. Um, I thought he played fine. People have been talking about him recently, and I've seen it kind of pop up here and there. It's like, do we need to have a Judkins conversation? And I don't really think that's very fair um, at all. I mean, he had absolutely no help against Tulane. Um, And then the few times he actually had a hole, I thought he actually looked more explosive than he did last year. Um, This past game uh, yesterday, I mean, he was definitely a little sore, a little banged up, so probably not his usual self. But I I think he's going to be fine. Um, I really liked what I saw from Bentley. I think this is kind of the guy we, we expected and talked about last season of what he could be. Um, when he's healthy and ready to go, I mean, he looks bigger, he looks faster. Um, that's a huge add. And then of course, dart, his ability to run the ball, he had like a hundred yards, I think in the first half, um, it's just an extra element for this offense. I thought they were definitely not perfect in the run game. I I still think they look just a little slow there, um, whether that's on purpose or an accident, I don't know, but they're not exactly attacking the line of scrimmage very much. Um, I don't really know why that is just something I noticed. There's like the very slow developing runs, Uh, but I thought it was definitely an improvement on last week. And I think it's something you're, I mean, you're just going to have to run the ball if you want to beat Alabama. So they better get it figured out for next week.
2: I thought that was the main takeaway from the night, if you're talking about the running game as the whole, is one, Dart ended up being utilized more in the running game. Some of that was a little bit skewed because he had the one gigantic run for 60-something sure. yards or 58, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he was definitely more active in the running game. And then, again, you hit on it earlier. I thought that was the best Ulysses Bentley has looked in an Ole Miss uniform. I think you finally kind of saw the guy that you thought you were getting when he transferred from SMU a year ago. And I think that's a really positive sign for Ole Miss because – I mean, take this game, for example. I mean, it's it's the SEC. It's a 12-game college football season. Judkins is probably going to be banged up at certain points, kind of like Zach Evans was last year and Judkins being the 1, 1A, one 1B, whatever you want to call it. Oh, Miss having that insurance behind Judkins wasn't something that we were totally sure about uh, entering the year. I don't think the staff was sure about it, right? They had Jam Griffin as a really late ad, and it felt like they needed it. But having Bentley kind of turn into what you thought he could be, I thought was a very positive development for Ole Miss and something they're definitely going to utilize going forward.
1: No, yeah. I mean, they needed more depth, which is why they brought in Griffin. I mean, Roscano, as you've seen, he has not played a snap yet. He looks like a pretty prime candidate for a red shirt. So having you know Judkins, having Dart, having Bentley, and then if you need him, whether it's Jam or, or Matt Jones, to kind of fill in there for a snap or two. I mean, you saw Jones had a pretty efficient day uh, for a touchdown. One carry for a touchdown, 30-something yards. Yeah, you'll take that every day to cover the spread. I'm sure that was not a coincidence by any means. Um, no, but it's encouraging. It's look, it's still Georgia Tech. They are a program in transition. They are building. Uh, they looked, I mean, just so much better coach than they did last year. I mean, it's, it's honestly night and day. I mean, Haynes King looks like a competent quarterback. What does that say about Jimbo? I don't know. Uh, but they're, they're not a bad team. They're not a great team, but it's progress. That's really kind of all we wanted to see going into this game.
2: Yeah, that's – I think that's well said. They do – so I don't think they're a very good team. I think they're a team with a very capable offense. Um, They're a very good offense. It's a little bit of like a tricky offense, right? They run a ton of screens. It's – it's like up-tempo, but it's not. They get to the line of scrimmage quickly a lot of times and then move around a bunch. But if you actually watch it throughout the course of the game, they don't actually go very fast. But they are certainly better coached. You bring up the Jimbo piece of it. It was funny that at a certain point in the broadcast last night, they were showing how Haynes King holds the football differently now. And it was something about how like he held it up high at uh, A&M and like, kind of has a more natural lower slot now. And it wasn't really the point they were making, but one part I did kind of find funny was jordan rogers who's on the broadcast who was talking about it. it was like you know back in the day i was taught to hold it high kind of like jimbo does and he goes but that's just really not the case anymore we figured out that that's actually not what you need to be doing and it was like a very like subtle like jimbo's teaching this the wrong way type of thing you mentioned what does that say about king he certainly looks like a better football player than he ever was in the small sample size we got at AM. and m
1: oh absolutely i mean he looked more athletic he looked more efficient uh yeah, he used to, like, bring the ball back and cock it, like, above his head. It was just very, very bizarre. Um, so, no, he played pretty well last night. They had some decent athletes there. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss has taken quite a few of their defensive players <laughs> recently, so they're obviously struggling with some del- depth there. Uh, but they're building. I mean, if they played Tulane with a healthy Michael Pratt, it'd probably be a decent game. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either, either way. I mean, they, they probably should have beaten Louisville, who's turned out to be, like, a decent team so far. So, I mean, it was a real test. And we had real questions going into it. I'm not sure that they've been fully answered necessarily, uh, but it was not like a massive disappointment despite despite the uh, very odd game flow throughout it.
2: Yeah, and it didn't help for Georgia Tech's side that they lose Cooley early in the game, and it really didn't appear that he came back at all from what I saw and certainly didn't make an impact, and that's a pretty key piece for them. At running back, beyond running the football, I guess before we get to the defensive side of the ball yet, I was curious to see what the passing game would look like, knowing you were probably going to be without Trey Harris and most definitely without Kaden Preescorn. And it didn't turn out the way I thought in terms of, I didn't feel like I learned a whole lot. And Kiffin spoke a little bit about this after the game of just, it was really just the way they were playing us. They were playing, you know, a lot further back and we were having success in the run game. So we just really ran the ball more and we weren't really consistently throwing the football, never got a rhythm there because of how Georgia Tech played them. I didn't think that anyone... I mean, Jordan Watkins had another 100-yard game, which is kind of weird. Four catches, but as it goes over this entry mark, they talked a lot about him being a very dependable guy that Dart trusts. Dart in his postgame presser mentioned, you know, if you want to talk about how much trust I have in him, he's the dude I threw to with the game on the line at the Egg Bowl last year. I thought that was a very specific example to cite. But they certainly need to get healthier there. But I just don't feel like we learned anything about how much they're going to miss Trey Harris should he miss next week. Hopefully priest corner comes back next week, but I just didn't feel like passing game wise. We learned a whole hell of a lot about what they're going to do with these guys out.
1: No, not really. Uh, What we did learn is that the ghost of Jalen Knox has now returned to the ghost off the field, not on the field. Yeah. No kidding. Um, Aiden Williams is out there for the first few snaps. Uh, He he played, you know, quite a few, I mean, almost half or, I mean, I can't remember. Chase just posted the snap counts. and I read them and I can't remember how many he played. Uh, but he made an impact out there, which was good to see. Um, They they kind of used Dayton Wade going outside a little bit more in the running game to add an extra element. And then, you know, they both do what they do. They kind of get open on the sh- shots they call and dart to his credit. Something he struggled with a lot last year was was hitting them when they're open um, and also just taking them when they're open. You know, You know, that's one of Kiffin's, like, biggest pet peeves is when we call a shot play and it's there, you better take it. There, there's a reason we're in a certain part of the field or we had this drawn up for a reason. You know, we definitely have to make it happen. So I thought they were really good. I thought they were very efficient. I thought Dart's decision-making uh, this year so far has just been like 10 times better than it was last year, which is what we heard all spring. You know, we talk about taking their their word for face value. I mean, he's looked really, really good. Um, you know, he's – he still forces a few throws here and there. There was one up the middle in that two-minute drill. I was like, that definitely could have been a pick. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, he honestly had a touchdown pass taken away from him, from Trigg. Uh, He's just he's just playing very well. Um, and he's working with probably – I don't even want to be, like, rude or negative towards the receivers because they're playing and doing their part. But, like, one of the worst receiving groups in the SEC right now. Um I mean, it's it's hard to really. They're definitely bottom half. How about that? Uh, and that's really. I'm not digging on them. They're they're doing their part, and they've actually showed up and like you know, answered the call for what they're doing. Um, but it's really a testament to Dart for how he's been able to play with the kind of pieces around him, especially with the lack of a running game ish so far. Uh, having to do a lot by himself through the air and on the ground, he's just been really good, and he's going to absolutely have to be very good next week uh, in order to win that game.
2: I know exactly what you mean on the receiving core. It's not even really directed at all at Jordan Watkins and Dayton Wade. It's who's not there around them. If you talk about Ole Miss's receiving core as a whole, it's two pretty good number two receivers. One of them's a former walk-on. You got a true freshman. And then whatever the hell you want to classify Jalen Knox as. That's really all they're working with right now. And it has been impressive how efficient Dart's been in the passing game. I mean, last night I think it was, what, 25 yards per completion. Only 10 completions, 10 of 18. They only threw it 18 times. But you're right. Like to speaking to that, it's really just more so about who's not there. I mean, hell, how many receiving cords in the SEC if they lost, presumably, who were going to be their top two receivers that are not out there, how many of them would still be a top half of the league receiving court? Probably very few. You're a
1: hundred you, you state that better than I could. Yes. A yeah, hundred no,
2: and I was just adding to it, like I knew exactly yeah. what you meant in that sense. And that's that's what makes next week so fascinating because you know, if there's a week where the lack of depth or the lack of a top end guy gets exposed, I think it's gonna be there. And Really, I I wouldn't think from everything I've heard. I don't know anything definitive. By far, definitely not putting this out. There's any form form of reporting. I would be surprised if Trey Harris played next week. Um, you know the timeline for Caden Priestcorn has always been the Alabama game. But with the receiving core, like the state of it currently, I think my eyes go to tight end. I think we know exactly what they're going to have available to them at receiver. Do you get Priestcorn back, and how much can you depend on Michael Trigg? And if you have both of those guys out there, how much can that you know, cover the loss of a Trey Harris or whatever the hell the case with Zagari Franklin is. That's kind of what I'm looking at as far as pass catching options.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, Franklin was dressed out, it looked like, but did not play. I would imagine that's a pretty good sign of his potential availability for next week. Um, But I have a lot of questions about that. One, I mean, just from a personnel standpoint, looking at what Franklin is, like he's not exactly – well, he was incredibly good at UTSA for what they were asking him to do, playing against a bunch of lesser competition with a really good quarterback for that league. Uh, he was a great route runner, but he's not exactly like a speed demon, but he's a very competent pass catcher, but he's also been hurt. So like the expectation that he's going to come in right away and just like absolutely change this offense is probably a little hyperbolic, um, you know, just considering the the situation that he's in um pre scoring I have no idea what's going on there. I mean that's it that is the story for the game next week. It's either are these guys going to step up to a level to to beat Alabama because I know their offense is shit, their defense is not. You know, Texas is a really good football team and they expose them on, on some deep uh passing routes with a really good quarterback, but their their front seven is still pretty salty. Like the the odds of you going to run the ball for over 200 yards and that just being the your recipe for winning the game is probably not going to be it. And if you've watched Kiffin, the way he kind of comes out in these bigger games, whether it's LSU last year, Alabama last year, a he kind of knows that. He knows that they're a little mismatched up front, and he ends up giving Dart the reins to throw the ball all over the place. I mean, against LSU last year, going up 17-3, I mean, they, like, did not run the ball more than once or twice in their first three drives where they scored. So, I mean, that's going to be his game plan early is to test the DBs of Alabama And then use the running game as kind of like the secondary option to kind of get you right plays and stuff like that. So in order to do that effectively against that team, you're going to have to be more healthy. Clearly, you're not going to be fully healthy, uh, but you need to add at least one of those three guys back in, I think, to be as effective as you possibly can.
2: There's some days when I was a reporter and we used to go out to practice for the Tuesday practice, I'd say more often than not, I would stand out there and wonder what the hell I was doing out there and why, what the purpose of this exercise was. On Tuesday, when we get whatever practice report from Chase or Neil, whoever goes out there and covers it, who is out there and what color jersey they're in is going to be probably more significant to me than at any point this year. Is Priest Corn out there practicing? Is Franklin out there practicing? I, I guess you could throw Trey Harris in the mix there too. You know, Judkins, is he still no, non-contact? What are the state of the ribs? This feels like a very important injury update day where I think in the two years of this doing this podcast, I can think of maybe like two other occasions where that was the case.
1: Yeah, not many. I mean, I know there was like a corral ankle thing that we've looked at, but no, I mean, offensively, They've been efficient, they've been all right, but to beat that team, you have to be healthy Um, and you have to have as many guys out there as you possibly can.
2: You mentioned being a little mismatched up front. They're still figuring the offensive line thing out. It was similar to the first two games and I don't know why I've been so infatuated with the left side. Maybe it's the transfer versus returning contributor thing, but they start Kern, they start McGee again. They basically keep McGee in there the entire game. I actually think he played every single offensive snap, but then you'd see the random Jaden Williams drive. And then there was a point in the game where Acker actually came in for Jeremy James at right guard. I don't know if that was like a minor injury thing. I don't really know what happened there, but it was just something I noticed, but just the sheer fact that they're still kind of rotating at left tackle, they're working Acker in where they can, and they don't seem fully kind of committed to what they have up front. I, I don't know what to make of it, but it is certainly something to monitor going into again, a game where you probably might be mismatched up front, might have some struggles running the football. I was just very curious by that. You got 20 Acker and Williams snaps equally, actually. And then Quincy McGee did play all of them now that I'm looking that up. Um, Still figuring it out front. It seemed like it was better. Kiffin certainly thought it was better than last week. But um, I'm certainly not sold that it is no longer an issue. I guess I'll put it that way.
1: No, I don't think it's definitely not an issue. Um, I do think that it's not necessarily like they're super unsatisfied with the play. I think it's important to have some rotation offensive line if you need it. You know, if you don't need it and you've got five guys out there you're completely confident with, then, you know, you go with those guys for sure. Uh, But clearly that's not the case with them. So I think they're just kind of still mixing and matching. Um, I don't even think they're trying to keep people, like, happy necessarily. I think they're just trying to see, you know, give some guys a rest and then give some guys some opportunities to see if they can, you know, show up, play better. Uh, But, no, I mean, it's going to be massive going into next week. I don't anticipate – you know, some sort of lineup change there. I would, I would imagine you'll see the same five with Kern and McGee out there on the left hand side, uh, but they're gonna have to play a lot better. This, this offense doesn't have the ability to play behind the chains. Um, You know, they've had real issues with Pettis and holding penalties. And you, when you're playing Alabama, there's no Matt Corral to hit like a 15 yard dig on second down to get you back in front. I mean, Dart has the ability to do that they kind of just don't run this offense the same way as that, that they usually will kind of try to run and run and get you back into third and manageable and then see where it goes from there. Uh, So improvement with the penalties, whether that's, you know, the procedure penalties, holding penalties are going to be massive going into next week. And it's not like you're going to get, you know, a whole lot of help from the officials down in Brian Denny, you know, that's how it kind of works. Um, Whether that's a real thing or not, it's, it's probably not, but you're just, the benefit of the doubt probably won't be there. Uh, if you end up with four or five holding penalties, that can end four or five drives the way this offense has gone so far and their ability to run the ball.
2: It's a great point about the the getting behind the chains and not having the Matt Corral to throw the 15-yard dig to get you back on schedule. The other piece of it, too, as they're figuring this off this running game out, you know, there were a couple of times, I remember in 2021 in particular, and a couple of times last year, if they got behind the chains because of a sack or a holding penalty, Kiffin was not scared to run the ball in second and 20-something because a lot of times he'd pop it off for 18 or 19, then all of a sudden you're back or second and four or third and four or whatever it is. They haven't really had that. I think Quinshawn Judkins long this year, maybe seven yards. I need to go back and double-check that. But point being, they haven't popped very many consistent long runs. You know, they had the Bentley one for a touchdown. Obviously, Dart did get loose on that very long one. But they just haven't consistently kind of hit teams or hit opposing defenses with those, you know, 12 to 25 yard runs that they've shown the ability to do in the past. And that's going to certainly going to put a further stress on them. You know, if they do get behind the change, I think that's a huge storyline going and Kevin mentioned it after the game. He was like this, these holding penalties are killing us. They're getting us off schedule. They're killing drives. And, you know, that can put you out of a game, particularly against Alabama. Um, but overall I thought pretty decent night for the offense. Again, I thought they passed every test given the resources available to him. And I think it's just about getting healthy. The uh, last actually offensive thing I saw, what did you make of a, uh, Pet, uh, not Pettis, Jesus, Pegues, um coming in on two goal line situations is like a tight end, but was really a third offensive lineman. There was one point where he seemed to seemingly took the entire left side of the Georgia Tech line out by himself. I mean, do you think that has anything to do with the running game struggles or that's something they would have probably tried to do anyway, even if they were world beaters up front?
1: No, uh, it's it's potentially something they'd probably try to do. I mean, obviously, Piggies was recruited as a tight end. He played tight end at Auburn. So it's not an uncomfortable position for him by any means uh, to be playing out there. And they also don't they don't have pre-scoring anymore. So in order to get an extra lineman in there without actually bringing an extra lineman where you still have a guy who potentially could be a pass catcher, somebody a linebacker is going to have to point out in the field, somebody to put on film as like a potential guy. I mean, I think he caught a touchdown pass last year. Uh, if I remember correctly. So it, it's just an added element. I honestly was surprised we hadn't seen it yet. I mean, the, the kid's incredibly athletic, Um, as we see playing defensive line. So, no, it's a really good thing. I think they've struggled a little bit in short yardage, um, whether that's in the middle of the field or in the goal line or in the red zone. So having an extra blocker there, Without having to, you know, bring on an extra lineman and do that whole deal where you're not as dynamic and you don't have as many potential play options is big. I think you're going to see a lot more of him potentially next week.
2: We'll get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol. Watch out out there, dangerous. That's my words, not theirs. And no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot watching at a bar or hosting with friends at home twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable memories so let's toast to unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted podcast is also brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well Glad you asked the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the skybox matrix Pinnacle, and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hopefully you took advantage of skybox sports picks four and two week in college football last weekend. All you have to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com, sign up for a picks package that fits your price range and boom, you're more equipped to profit. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try college football, NFL. I'd recommend going with the year long all access pass And you're more equipped to profit than you are five minutes before signing up for Skybox. It's a small investment to ensure that you do not lose money this football season. If you're into wagering, it's the only place to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, back to Weldon. Defensively, as we mentioned at the top, as bendy as bendy can get without totally breaking, certainly not a perfect defensive performance, but I will I'll make one note that I thought was interesting. We Chase and I, I think we you and I probably covered it too on Monday, but Chase and I I know talked about on Sunday when we were looking at the snap counts. They weren't rotating defensively. And that was not the story in this one. I, I want to say there wasn't a single non-member, non-secondary guy that played. So Ole Miss was on the field defensively for a total of 89 snaps. There was Cedric Johnson played 56, Isaac Uku played 50. Those are the only two front seven guys that played over 50 snaps. They played a lot of guys. There were a lot of guys in the 40s, Montgomery, Jean Baptiste, Pegis, Stone, Ivy. They rotated a lot more. And then you saw a big spike from Perkins again. 35 snaps. That looked a little more like what we thought they might be able to do this year with the perceived, you know, added depth. How good are they at the top end? I think we'll still we're still finding that out. But that finally looked like the rotation we thought they were going to have the ability to do that they did not last year and killed him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really was good to see Perkins get out there. I think he played around like 30, 35 snaps, which is almost half the defensive snaps. Um, he's not even playing off-ball linebacker right now. I think they've decided to go the LSU route with Harold, the Harold Perkins route. We're like, look, we're just going to get this athlete on the field. We're going to get him off the edge. He can rush the passer. He can you know, disrupt in the backfield. Uh, which he did like three or four times. I don't know if you remember this play, but there was one play in the first half where he's a guard comes to pull around to get on Perkins. Perkins just sheds him like Micah Parsons and then absolutely stonewalls the running back. I mean, that's just what you're going to get from a kid as good as he is. Um, I I think getting him on the field is incredibly important. Uh, Overall play wise, I, I would just like to see this team attack more on the early downs and that's not like you know just saying oh just to start run blitzing like that that's easier said than done I I think they're catching a lot Um, the defensive line is not getting a lot of penetration on rundowns I think they're just catching and the linebackers catching uh, these running backs going three or four or five yards on almost every rush now they're not breaking a lot of runs uh, which is a good thing. You know, that that's not – I don't want to say it's their strategy because they could, you know, get a lot more TFLs. They would absolutely take them. Uh, but they've they definitely just kind of been struggling getting off blocks. I think linebackers have been missing a lot of tackles to – instead of a rush going for one yard or even, you know, zero yards, they're going like three or four because they're just not getting a hat on the hat. Um, I think in the back end – I thought they played pretty well tonight. The biggest issue, and it's come up again, is they've busted about four too many coverages than they can afford to with the talent they have on this defense. You know, if you're going to play, bend, don't break. When you break as wide open as they have recently, and honestly, they they got lucky a few times against Tulane and Georgia Tech, it's going to be a real problem. Um, so they have to get that worked out, whether that's just – playing more simple coverages in the red zone, or I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what they should do in order to deal with that. Um, But it's going to be a real problem because I know these Alabama quarterbacks have not been impressive, but you know, they're still in college. They can absolutely hit a guy if he's wide ass open. Um, But I'm not like super disappointed with the performance. I I thought they've played well. I thought they've made plays and they have to, which is really important with the way that they've played defense, the depth they have on this team. Um, I think, they actually do a pretty damn good job pass rushing on like well-known pass rush downs, which is a big question we had going into the season. Uh, you know, they're not war horses back there. You know, they're not exactly, you know, Dallas Turner and all those, that crew, but they're pretty efficient. They, they, they really make quarterbacks struggle whether they get there or not is a different case scenario. But uh, I think, you know, there's improvement. I think they look a lot better than last year through three games. Um, and they've played, you know, at least one team with a pretty solid offense. Obviously, the backup quarterback last week, hard to get a true read. Uh, but they're gonna have to be really, really good this week.
2: Yeah, the uh that Perkins play, I noticed it this morning and I like rewinded it three times. It was really remarkable. And that's
1: it's kind very of how- rare. It's like it's hard to explain like I said I was at the the Texas game this weekend so I didn't get to see it in person so when I watched this morning you can kind of easily yeah watch ESPN's great I mean you can really easily just go 10 seconds 10 seconds and see it and I like just like you I had to rewind that play like multiple times and be like Jesus Christ I mean that just doesn't happen that's a true freshman absolutely manhandling for the second game in a row by the way uh a you know, real massive offensive lineman and just throwing him to the ground like a doll. Uh it's the kid's really impressive. I mean, he comes off the edge at a speed that just we haven't seen in a long time uh from a guy that plays that position. It's he's a, one hell of a player.
2: it's like when he did shed the guy, the ball carrier was already there. So it almost looked like he did it with like one arm and one shoulder, like just stonewalled the guy with his left shoulder as he was like shedding the lineman with his right one. It was, it it was something that pops. And I feel like we said that with him a lot and your point about, you know, what they've decided to do with him. I think mirrors exactly what Kiffin said after the game. I thought he had an interesting quote where he said, you know, uh, for Perkins or whatever the hell he called him. He's like, seems like every time he's out there, he makes a play. Like we got to find a way to get him out there more. He had a quote that he said, we got to find a way to get him on there more out on the field more and get him mastering more stuff. So we can get him out there on the field more because he's a tremendous athlete. And, you know, when he's out there, he seems to make plays, which seems to fall in line, which natural with the true freshman, right? I mean, Kiffin said after the game, he's like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot thrown at you as a linebacker in the sec. And so it, it seems like they're going at the pace that he's able to go in terms of picking up on stuff, but you know, whether it's the Harold Perkins role or however they're deciding to use him, it sounds like they may make it more simple just to make sure he's on the field exactly as you said.
1: No, right. I I didn't hear him say that after I haven't seen the post-game press conferences. But like you said, they're not putting him uh, playing Mike Linebacker right now. I I don't think he's ready for that yet. That's an incredibly difficult position to play, especially for a defense that Golding runs and how much, you know, authority you have out there. Uh, But he's just making plays. And at the end of the day, you know, having two or three plays where he's out there making a TFL or like running down for a sack or just being quick in space. And, you know, that's just massive for a defense that is not exactly controlling the tempo uh, in a lot of these games. So I I think you're going to see a lot more of them coming soon. Alabama will be a fascinating test for him. Um, And it's especially depending on who plays quarterback there. And we'll get to that, Uh, but it's good to see him out there. I mean, he played more snaps than Kari Coleman did. Uh, I think he played almost equal to, like, Sistrunk. I mean, I know John Baptiste and Montgomery are getting a pretty pretty solid load of him, but, I mean, he's out there. He He's officially in this game plan, which is kind of another one of the things we wanted to see this week.
2: Yeah, I absolutely figured it'd be the case. Like, they just couldn't afford to not have him out there. Um, running game-wise, I think you hit the nail on the head a second ago when you are talking about, like, more attacking on early downs. Like, Georgia Tech, each of their ball carries, I think, along of 15, 15, and 10. Like, it's not like they're getting gashed for – you know, 20 something yard runs and looking like the 2018 Westman Griff defense. And then they ended up at like three and a half yards to carry, but you're right. It's, I remember at a junior high football coach where every time the other team would stick like the fat fullback and he would run for four yards, he would just scream too much. Like, it just, like, get that push and get the tackles for loss and meet him at the line of scrimmage as opposed to the guy getting the, you know, three-yard fall forward, five-yard gain. Seems like there's a lot of that, and there hasn't been as much penetration at the line of scrimmage. Some of that, too, and, again, I'm far from an X's and O savant football-wise, they've played two offenses that have a lot of, like, side to side screen game, not your traditional north and south running style. And I wonder if that's a part of it. But I mean, you will certainly you will certainly figure out next week because that will be your more traditional power running game and how they hold up against that will be fascinating to me, because I think that will be the first time we really kind of learn, like, are they capable of doing what you're talking about, getting more pressure at the line of scrimmage and stopping guys in their tracks and TFLs and everything that goes with that.
1: It, it's just, it's more just making the plays that are there. You know, yes. it's not like they're out of position. It's just, like I said, there's plays be made for one one yard, zero yards, uh, but it feels like they're just not really knocking back anybody. And I mean that, like from a linebacker standpoint, when they get the ball carry, the ball carrier is carrying them for like three or four yards. Like you see when an NFL guy tries to tackle Derrick Henry, except for they're not tackling Derrick Henry, they're tackling a bunch of nobodies. Um, So it's going to be a massive point because, look, if Alabama goes out next week and realizes they can run for four or five yards of carry and then figure it out in the red zone, they're absolutely going to do that. Um, And they have four or five, legitimately four or five running backs. None of them are world beaters by any means, but they're all very solid. And they're all very capable of rushing, you know, competently throughout the entire game. They're going to be fresh. They rotate a lot, and especially, God, especially if Milrow – ends up as the quarterback again, they're going to have to corral him like pretty significantly because I know he may have some deficiencies as a passer, but he is easily one of the most dynamic athletes they'll play maybe this entire season at that position. So it's going to be a real, real test for a team that so far has been just okay against the run.
2: Yep, and the, the bend don't break aspect, I think, really pertains to the secondary as well, because you mentioned like there were a handful of busted coverages that had seemingly been a common thread throughout the three games so far that they've played. But they also made a couple awesome plays in the red zone. Um, I think it was Dejon Anthony who had the breakup on that fourth down in the end, uh, end zone when Georgia Tech yep. went for it, broke up that play. There was one where you're talking about. The pass rush on obvious passing downs, they forced King to float a deep ball. And I think it was maybe Zamari Walton or someone else down there, maybe that broke it up in the end zone. It was still a catchable ball, but it was partially affected by the pass rush and partially affected by them making a good play on the ball in the secondary. Walton had another one on a fourth down toward the end of the first half where he just completely sticks the guy what appeared to be on a slant route, kind of like yep. a pick play. Um, they 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 make plays, like they seemingly have some guys that are playmakers, but the coverage busts. Are very that's something that's going to have to get shored up pretty quickly because, to your point, you know, not world beaters at quarterback, anyone that Alabama has, but if they're wide open, the old Wesley McGriff example, if they throw it and no one is within a TV screen length of them, uh, they will complete those and they've <laughs> got to shore that part of it up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't give enough credit to the way the DVs have played the ball this season. Uh, I think it's honestly the best I've ever seen, um, especially early in a season. I guess, uh, you know, we're only so far through it of DBs making plays on the ball, getting their heads around. I mean, the ball skills have been just phenomenal by Prince, by Walton, by Anthony, uh, by Young. I mean, they've just been really damn good at that. Um, I think they match up decent with the Alabama wide receivers. Um, they, they're they obviously going to be better than Tulane and Georgia Tech, but they're not exactly Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. So I think those plays will be there to be made. They just have to be in the right spots. And I know it sounds silly but if they're in the right spots i like their abilities to play them very well with especially with the pass rush they've gotten you know like i said it's not elite but it's absolutely been a factor in these games early to give those time you know those guys enough time to not have to be out there guarding these receivers for four or five seconds um it, it's a massive point so making plays on the ball being in the right spots are going to be huge because they're going to take their shot plays they're, they're going to have a Milro can get it down the field um, and you just need to be there, need to be in the right spot, and then once it comes to it, just make a play. And they've done a really, really good job of that so far.
2: You mentioned the pass rush piece of, piece of it. Pass rush. Gosh, can't talk.
1: It's today. a hard one. Chris Collinsworth can't say it once. You watch that Sunday Night Football tonight, you'll, you'll notice he'll say pass rush. Yeah, like Bill Simmons and them
2: make fun of times. him for it all the time. It cracks me up. It, <laughs> yeah. that is a tough one to say. Pass it rush.
0: Is. Pass rush. It. Pass rush.
2: That piece of it. <laughs> That was something I noticed last night, too. On obvious passing downs, they really went and got after King and got him out of the pocket and forced a throwaway or two, forced him to sail a ball. And then it was interesting to me that after the game, Kiffin mentioned, you know, what was he what would he like them to improve on? He didn't think they rushed the passer overall very well. But then he also when he was uh, asking about stuff he liked from the game, he mentioned the fact that he likes Tennyson coming down as an undersized linebacker as a pass rushing option because he can really shoot gaps. And he thought he really affected the game. So it sounds like on obvious passing downs, like they have had the ability to go get the quarterback and be very good in that aspect. But it sounds like they're seeking a little bit of improvement on the non obvious passing downs when you rush four and maybe you don't bring an extra guy or two getting more consistent there, which again, I mean, the only real established pass rusher they had was Cedric Johnson, right? I don't know if you'd call Jared Ivy that. So that makes sense. And I'm just curious how much it can and will improve over the next couple of weeks.
1: No, yeah, I mean, they've thrown in a lot of guys there. I mean, they, they've they kind of not played both the Harris's very much. They've gone for more like athletic front with Pegues and, you know, Stones played a lot more than I was expecting him to play. Uh, but with Johnson and with Ukwu and with Perkins and Ivy, those are the guys that have kind of made their hay getting in the backfield. I thought they've done a really good job. I, I thought Kiffin last week was talking about Ukwu, the fact that he – you know, is not like an every day, every down starter for this team right now, but he absolutely makes his presence known when it's needed. Uh, I mean, he had a big sack last night in the game. He's just kind of shown up like pretty consistently. Um, not great against the run. It's pretty obvious when you watch him, which is probably why he's not out there every single play. Uh, but he's been a really good addition uh, for a guy coming from James Madison. I know he was pretty heralded, but look, I mean, this is a different kind of line play. Than you're getting in that league, uh. But he's been really good. I think Johnson, though, maybe the stat sheet doesn't show it, has looked healthy, has looked very aggressive, has looked more like himself. Um, will have to make you know a few plays here and there. They've kind of asked him to do quite a few different things. Um, but there's there's a lot of positivity to take from what they've shown so far in that uh, aspect of the defense.
2: That was really most of what I had, um, as far as just notes from this game. Because again, this just kind of uh this becomes, you know, okay, now what? Like, you, you got the first three out of the way. You got the out of the two-lane game unscathed. Like, how good are they compared to the rest of the league? And we'll get to that piece of it in a second. One of the last few things I had, you had another long field goal from our guy, Caden Davis. I regret we recorded the podcast on Monday evening. I didn't watch his presser from Monday until I think after we recorded. I have to cover this at some point. I feel it's like it would be negligence not to. He told Kiffin supposedly before the game, that he made a 67 yarder in warm up. Someone tweeted that he did the same again in warming up for the this game against Georgia Tech. He told apparently told Kiffin before the two end game, "If you get quote anywhere near midfield, I'm good." And then also proclaimed to make a wind aided 76 yarder at Texas a and last week. Uh, The 49 yarder would look like it hit like the mid to top of the net. I'm just mesmerized by the strength of this dude's leg. And the fact that he's somehow shown up at Ole Miss and just happened to pair up the accuracy with it and boot and ousted an all American kicker in the process while doing it.
1: I mean, he's forcing Lane Kiffin to kick field goals in situations that he like just did not do in the past two years. Even when Costa was, was not on the pisser like the, the dude is just unbelievable. His, his 45 yard field goal would have been good from 60.
2: It's unbelievable. I mean, it is lo-
1: it, it's like watching a professional kicker, and I've seen some of these professional kickers today as I'm watching my split screen Sunday ticket. These guys miss all the time. They miss from 38. They miss from 45. This guy is money from what it looks like 55 and in. Um, I mean, it's the confidence is there clearly, which is like literally one of the two things you have to have as a kicker. It's confidence and the, a leg. Um, he, he's really impressive. He's going to be a massive asset because – Look, they've had some weird red zone deal. I mean, when Dart got all the way down there, they did not score. They have not been great in the red zone. The ability to be able to score from damn near anywhere once you're on that side of the field is a massive asset to this offense going into next week. So I know we like to laugh about it between Costa and this kid, but it's honestly incredibly
2: impressive. It really is. It's remarkable. And then he had another nugget about uh, our favorite football coach on this from the Monday presser that I thought was just an incredible one. Someone asked him about why he wanted to come to Ole Miss and he mentioned want to stay in the SEC and then what do you like about Ole Miss and he said, you know, I like the town, I love the culture within this program, complete 180 from where I came from and then just like kept going on with his answer and I was like whoa did anybody else hear that the way I did, just an absolute dagger to uh, Jimbo and that battle program from a former punter slash kicker of theirs, I thought that was hilarious.
1: No, I mean you never know where you're gonna get the best quotes from, I and mean, clearly this kid is just you know made for WWE. I mean it's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I, I I remember we talked about that after we after you saw it, I was like, yeah, this kid's a pretty big gamer. Clearly, uh, yeah, God, yeah, I mean, it's impressive.
2: I know. I, he's no Mac Brown level yet in terms of the fandom he has in my heart, but uh, he's certainly a candidate. He's getting play close. Play.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, close.
2: we haven't seen a candidate in the two years since Mac Brown's left us. This is the first real candidate. We'll finish up our conversation with Weldon here in just a second, but I want to take one more quick break to remind you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy at subscriber, that's com. You get a free newsletter from me. And also discounted meats. Right now, the Rippy Right special is three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets. For 20 bucks that's about a 40 dollar valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks show Greg Krufer subscription he'll get you set up with the Rippy right special then go find all your own favorites it's the best butcher shop in the world all kinds of delicious cuts of meat it's football season you're going to want to throw something on the grill and watch all the games check them out lb's University Avenue there in Oxford. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC speech therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic using a relationship based framework. MC speech therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at Claire at Therapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. Right. Taking a look around the SEC. It was an interesting weekend and a bad slate of games. There were just some like I was talking about it uh, to someone after I did Neil's picks. They were just some, like, rat-looking lines. Like, the Florida one made no sense. Missouri, Missouri. and Kansas State almost seemed too easy. And, you know, it's, if it doesn't make sense, then it probably does. You should probably lean into what doesn't make sense. I, I guess we'll start with uh, Florida, Tennessee. I didn't watch much of this game. I know you probably didn't either because you were at a game as well. But at the same time – I. I I don't know. I mean, I thought Florida may have been one of the worst teams in the SEC after week one. It's the classic week one overreaction. But to blow them out of the building and hold them in check offensively, them being Tennessee the way they did, was not something I saw coming at all. I'm a
1: kind of on the opposite end. I, I bet Florida pretty heavily okay. kind of saw this one coming. Um, first of all, Tennessee has not won in the swamps since 2003, which was said 10 million times yesterday. Uh, but That like- is nuts. It is nuts. Um, I think it's officially time to call Joe Milton what he is, and that's just not a very good quarterback. Uh, If he's not throwing the ball 95 yards in the air, like he's just not very good. Uh, This receiving core without Hyatt is not the same team they were last year. It's honestly funny because defensively, they're probably a little bit better than they were last year. Um, Fuck you, Russell Wilson. God damn it. Um, but like, I mean, they they I mean they kind of manhandled it, they kind of did it in the way that Billy Napier wants to, you know, be. He wants to control the ball, he wants to be a lot of misdirection, he wants to run the football, and then kind of be a you know, when give Graham Mertz the opportunities when he feels like it's safe, and Mertz played fine. Uh, they just manhandled Tennessee. I, I thought that they I mean, I didn't really expect this kind of game. I mean, it was basically 26 to 10. It was it was you know, kind of a blowout to be honest. Uh, I didn't necessarily expect that, but I was not surprised to see them win. I, I think they're playing decent football. There are a lot of people talking about how Florida was worse than Vanderbilt and worse than Missouri. Like th- that was always kind of ridiculous. Like, I mean, I'm obviously a big Billy Napier guy because I just really respected the way that he's run programs in the past. Um, so I've given him quite a big a bit of the doubt. I, I don't know if it's going to pay off for me yet because they you know they still have quite a few games left on the schedule. But this was a big one for them, you know, at least showing some sort of proof of concept that this is possible with a Tennessee team that was, you know, kind of thought to be the clear cut second in the East. Uh, That's definitely up for debate now. They looked pretty damn bad.
2: And then the clear cut first in the East does not look like they're going to just wreck college football for 14 weekends a year and make the end result at the end of the year in the national championship game. Um, Pretty much predetermined South Carolina goes in there and gives them a game. They're up 14 to three at halftime. There was a moment in the third quarter where I thought, okay, South Carolina might actually do this. Georgia gets it together offensively, particularly in that third quarter and ends up winning 24 to 14. But I mean, South Carolina goes in that game 27 and a half point underdogs and for two and a half quarters of football, it looked like they might pull off the upset and win the football game. What have you made of Georgia so far? They've had some slow starts offensively in their first two games against inferior competition, and then kind of gotten it rolling. It seems like to me, like again, I don't know what what I'm watching all the time, but like Beck seems okay. It seems like they maybe have some issues protecting him at times. He's very efficient, but maybe they underrated how significantly good. um Oh, I'm blanking on it. Stetson Bennett was in that offense, particularly last year. What have you made of Georgia so far? And Do you think the gap is closer than we think between them and everyone else?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: It's only a
0: kick. A jump. A
2: block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this adidas
1: okay. i think that mike bobo is just not very good at his job which is something we probably should have taken into account going into this season uh they just look incredibly pedestrian from a scheme standpoint they, they do nothing special they have i think like four injuries at running back so they're playing you know, Dejon Edwards, who's kind of is what he is. And they're playing a white walk on at running back. is kind of their second string guy. So they absolutely are banged up, uh, but they have real players on the edge. I mean, with Smith, with Ra-Ra Thomas, with Lovett, with Bowers, like they, they do have like some serious weapons. Uh, they just don't utilize them very well. Uh, I think Beck is fine. Uh, I think that they only need him to be fine. He just can't be turning the football over, which he's done, you know, a decent job of so far. I mean, at the end of the day, they were down 14-3 to at half and then outscored them 21-0 to in the second half. They're kind of starting to remind you of those, like, old Alabama teams who, like, you know, they just kind of walked through games. And, you know, when they had to wake up, they kind of just did, and they kind of mauled you towards the end. Um, I'm not ready to call them, like, a team that's going to lose two games this year, or I don't even know if they're going to lose one game this year. Uh, But they're definitely not the juggernaut we expected to see. Uh, out of them Uh, defensively they're still absolutely dynamic I mean they especially in the back end the kid that you should watch if you want to see what a future all pro safety Malachi Starks for them I think he's 24 is just an absolute like war daddy I mean he is all over the place Uh, they're just they're really good on defense I mean South Carolina kind of shocked them with some screenplay early they got an early touchdown uh, and they you know, they were pretty efficient early on, but like once they got into it, once the kind of rain settled in, you know, Bradley wasn't even playing bad, but he just had no help out there. South Carolina is depleted from a running back standpoint, offensive line standpoint, receiver standpoint. I mean, they're all over the place. They're just kind of in ratchet, uh, but they, they, they were up for it. I'll give them that. But Georgia, I think they're going to be fine.
2: I think it does probably come down to the Bobo thing, right? Because it was interesting to me, Todd Munkin, who is very good at his job, leaves to go to be the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Um, he's seemingly been good everywhere he's gone. Bobo has not. Like the, It seems like Bobo has a little bit of the Chad Morris syndrome where it's like, all right, I get that we thought this guy was good in like 2010 to 2013, but like what have you done for me lately? And to the point where I had a Georgia guy on to do like team previews in August, and it seemed like that. The concern over Bobo becoming the offensive coordinator was not really much of one because he'd worked in-house before and knew the system and the offense it wasn't going to change a bunch of things. And I was like, well, if you're a play caller and you suck at it and the good guy leaves, you still suck at it even if you're familiar with the offense and the offense isn't changing. I never bought that logic. And then if you remember, Zach Arnett maybe kicked the tires on hiring Mike Bobo and State had like a mini message board fan revolt of like, please absolutely do not do this. So that is something that's going to be interesting, that if, if they can't utilize their weapons offensively, does someone come up, sneak up, and get them, like you mentioned, once, maybe twice, maybe they don't lose it all this year, just because they have a very bad play caller offensively that doesn't utilize the weapons they have?
1: No, I mean, they're, they're pretty lucky to be in the situation they were yesterday. I mean, they were just completely off kilter for almost three quarters on offense, um, like I said, with, like, real dudes out there. So, I mean, there's really no excuse for it except for just – they are just incredibly conservative. Um, And they don't really have the running game currently. They definitely have the offensive line, and that hasn't really been the issue for them. But just the running backs, the versatility, just the play calling. It's just been very bland, very pedestrian. And that'll get you through South Carolina. And like we said, it may get you through everybody. But for a national title, which is probably their only goal this season, uh, they're going to have to figure something else out because that absolutely will
2: not get it done. The game I watched the most of the day because of where it fell on the schedule before I went and you know did the Grove thing and went to part of the game and watched the second half at home, Mississippi State LSU. I didn't think LSU was as bad of a football team by any stretch that they showed in the second half of their Labor Day lot, a night loss or Sunday night, whatever it was, opening weekend. Um, I don't necessarily think this game also means that they're back in like a, you know, a, a playoff contender again. I think they could end up being, I'm just going to see them a little bit more. My takeaway from this was, oh, my God, Mississippi State looks like Sylvester Mara's Mississippi State on offense. Those pieces in that scheme do not jive. They were horrid offensively starting at quarterback.
1: They were terrible. I, they were absolutely terrible. I thought this said a lot more about what Mississippi State's doing than LSU. Um, LSU offensively was just wildly efficient. Jaden Daniels, I think, had like two incompletions in the first half.
2: Neighbors had almost 200 yards receiving by halftime. It was unbelievable. Yeah.
1: I mean, Mississippi State defensively and offensively feel like they're coaching for a team that they don't have. I mean, they're offensively, there's honestly no excuse for what's happened there. You've got a quarterback who is really good in one system and is clearly not equipped for any other system. And that's just a fact. I mean, I've said this about Will Rogers on this podcast for a long, long time. Like this guy is is really average. But if you give him the ability to throw easy throws and kind of pitch it around and get in a rhythm, then Make you got Make correct
2: decisions there. in the air raid was really the gist of it to me.
1: A hundred percent. Um They have him rolling left on play action to throw across his body to receivers. I mean, he's ducking the ball five yards before the receiver. I mean, it was terrible. And then when you do that and ha- put absolutely no pressure on LSU, I mean, they have plenty of offensive weapons and it can, you know, put them out there as they f- see fit. And will absolutely beat your ass. And that's exactly what they did. Um, I mean, I got clowned for saying LSU was going to be a favorite in the West uh, after last week. Uh, I feel pretty good about that one right now. Um, and I never really doubted that one. I I think we're both on the same page. They absolutely you know got their ass handed to them by Florida State and quit in the second half. But they're also not that bad of a football team. Uh, I think they're still pretty damn good. Um, they don't have too many more tests until playing Ole Miss. Oh damn, that's in two weeks. So yep. yeah, they play. They play Arkansas on Saturday. I'll, I'll actually be there to see him in person. Um, but Mississippi State, man, I mean, they don't look like a team that could beat an SEC team on their schedule in their current iteration of this offense. I mean, it's it's the classic you know square peg round hole deal that's going on over there right now. I mean, it's 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 really really bad. It's a bad product. Um, and we didn't know how he felt about this team. I mean, they're very senior heavy. They've got a lot of experience defensively. I don't necessarily think they're as bad as we saw, um, but they don't have Emmanuel Forbes in the back end anymore, and that's clear as day. I mean, they were they're just going one-on-one with Malik Neighbors on, on obvious passing downs and thinking that was going to work out for them and never once adjusted throughout almost the entire game. Uh, it was 41-14 and honestly didn't even feel that close.
2: It was not that close. I mean, I, I'd i echo everything you said there regarding Mississippi State. The quarterback piece of it that was fascinating, I, Rogers' final line. You ready for this one? 11-28 for 103 yards. That's 3 yards, 30.7 yards per completion.
1: It's bad. It's so bad. I mean, their receivers aren't very good either. I mean, Tulu is kind of a gadget player. Xavier Thomas is a gadget player. They have some transfer from Georgia who's fine. Uh, Jaden Wally doesn't play for them anymore, which I can't really explain for a guy that was pretty damn electric as like a freshman uh, and a sophomore, really. Um, They're just there. I mean, Joe Quavius Marks, I didn't know this, was the leading reception, uh, leading, leading receiver interceptions in Mississippi State history. And he is a running back. That is crazy to me. Uh, and they don't really even get him the ball very much. He's really good. <laughs> like They should honestly be running the ball with him a lot more instead of what they've been doing. Um, It's really bad. It's going to be like a real wake-up call for this program. I know they're in transition, but it didn't have to be this way and by any means.
2: What do you do at quarterback? Because as I was kind of like reading some online content about that game, it was – It's interesting to me because you're right. I mean, Rodgers, it's very clear now that he was an air raid quarterback and is not really equipped to run any other major SEC system. I mean, I I hate to overreact after four quarters of football, but watching the Arizona game and that, I I do actually feel definite in that. What do you do? Because they have that true freshman in Parson who's running third string, clearly probably not ready to play, but then you have like kind of a running quarterback and Mike Wright that you got from Vanderbilt. Like the reason I think Rodgers is going to have a very long leash is the lack of other options around him. But when it, when it looks as bad as it did on Saturday and you go five straight possessions without gaining a first down, um, you gain one first down for most of the first half, and if not for a 52-yard run. It was on the
1: first play, down. too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they first play, and they went almost a quarter and a half or two quarters without gaining another first down. When it's that bad and that uncompetitive, and you're not gaining positive yards on most of your plays, don't you just have to change something for the sake of changing something?
1: I mean, you'd say yes, naturally, but I just don't know if Mike Wright is necessarily the option there. I mean, we've kind of seen what he is as a player so far. I'm not sure he brings – a dynamic besides his legs that's going to help you win football games. I think you just have to ride with Will Rogers. Um, You're not going to install a new offense. So I think you're just going to be a bad team, to be honest. I I just don't see them being competitive in many games. Um, Home field wise, this is a weird year for them. I don't know if you know this. They have eight home games, which like happens almost never. Um, If they lose at South Carolina this week, you're going to see some real issues going on in Starkville. Um, and they're already – I think they're a five-point underdog going on the road to play a team that, though they've lost two games, like has some sort of you know momentum after a loss, if there is any. Um, so it could get pretty dicey there pretty quickly. I think Arnett looks completely in over his head so far, which is – it's an unfortunate situation. It's an unavoidable situation. I'm not sure how many other options they had besides
2: this. I don't think they had another realistic option at the time.
1: No, I don't think they did either. So it's just kind of like the situation is what it is, uh, but it does not look good so far. He's
2: just not ready. I'm going to be fascinated to see how that looks over the next couple of weeks, because you, mi- you mentioned eight home games. That's a lot more times most of your fans see you in person. And if it looks that bad and it becomes that agonizingly long of a season and the product continues to look that way, I wonder how much the – the leash gets tighter and would they, I mean, would they dare make them? I would doubt they'd dare make them. No, 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 no. He I don't think year? it's going to
1: be that maybe offensively, but like, I know they've they, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the kind of upside of the Parsons kid, but I mean, I know that kid, I, I've seen him play in high school. I remember rooting again Like I, he's a fine player, but he, you know, he's not going to be, you know, your Trevor Lawrence that's sitting in the wings necessarily, um, and he's clearly not ready to play. Now, that could be changed pretty quickly if he ends up starting one of these games coming up soon. But I don't think he's really in the cards for this year uh, for this team. So I don't really know what the option is. Um, if there's anything positive, I think their uniforms are awesome. I thought I that
2: did look cool. That was they, uh, they I, look that was great. The, the
1: script state in the middle of the field and on the helmet is a great update from what they've had. Um, you can't really do much with that, but it's not nothing either.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's it. It's not going to help you win a ton of games, but maybe it'll help the fans uh, look at the field more. I don't really know. Um, Looking around elsewhere, probably the biggest win of the weekend. I mean, I guess you could say it was probably Florida, but Missouri beating Kansas state. This is another one of those like rat lines when I was looking at Neil's picks just didn't really make any sense. Um, They played very well. They win the game. They win in ridiculously wild fashion with a walk off 61 yard field goal college kickers, man. But uh, a big win, and it felt like a very important win for Mizzou and just general program momentum for the Drinkwitz era because that place looked pretty packed. They stormed the field. It felt like SEC-ish environment on TV. That's not a bad stadium, but they don't always fill it up. That felt like a huge moment for the Drinkwits, uh tenure in Missouri.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely one of the best games of the day. I mean, we had it on the TV as much as we could once LSU started blowing out uh, Mississippi State. Uh, really big win for Missouri. Um also could have gone the other way. And I would have not blamed them if they fired Drinkwitz on the field after his clock management on that oh, field man. goal. I mean, to to have to not realize you don't have a timeout and then like act like you have a timeout for whatever reason, get a five yard penalty when you're in fuel goal range to potentially cost your team the game having to go to overtime is a fireable offense with the way that program is gone. I mean, they could have done it on the field, and I think it would have been justified. Um, so I mean, it's a huge win for them. They have some pretty solid talent on that team. The hopper linebackers, a real deal. I mean, their wide receiver core uh with Weiss and with Burden and with that other kid whose name I cannot think of off the top of my head. I think it's like Johnson. I mean, they're legit. I mean, they're game breakers uh on the outside. Uh Muka Cooper is another one of those guys. Um, they're 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 pretty good. I mean, it was a rat line. I took Missouri. Um, four and a half. I will tell you about my wins and not about my losses. Um, but I, it was really impressive. It was a huge win. I mean, they really, really needed this one. I think they got a little lucky with the quarterback for Kansas State getting kind of hurt during the game and having to do this two quarterback thing. Uh, but no, look at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they got the win. It absolutely could have been a disaster, uh, but it's big for them. That they, they're not necessarily in competition in the east but
2: they look dangerous at least the last game that I really didn't catch any of at all because of where it fell and I was doing the post game show uh Arkansas loses at home to BYU this is probably one I'll probably go back and watch at some point throughout the week just to figure out what the hell happened because obviously Ole Miss plays Arkansas um but I'm a little bit flying blind on this one because I wasn't able to watch much of this one this game makes zero sense BYU scored 38 points on 281 yards of offense, 17 first downs, and 77 rushing yards. And they were four of 13 on third down, but they won the game 38-31. That seems almost impossible. Did you catch any of this? What the hell happened?
1: I knew none of that. I uh, saw exactly zero snaps of this of this game. Uh, it was kind of just where it fell. And where it was with the bar we were at, it was not on TV. I saw nothing. I was kind of following it from my phone uh and kind of being like, oh shit, they're gonna lose to BYU. And then it's like, no, they're not. And then they did. Um, I don't think Rocket Sanders played in this game. Uh he did not, that and that hurt. and they've family. had some
2: offensive line issues too. Yeah,
1: it doesn't really affect the fucking defense. Uh yeah. BYU's not good. They're not a good football team. I mean, they beat Sam Houston State 10-0 earlier this year. Uh, I think they lost another game to somebody who's, like, not that good. Um, This is a terrible loss at home in a place that's pretty hard to play, or at least it's supposed to be. Uh, Defensively, they just clearly don't have the players. Um, Offensively, KJ is KJ. You kind of know what you're getting from him, but they haven't exactly looked on point recently. Uh, This is screaming potential coaching change here. I I think with the upside that that program has, the money around – Northwest Arkansas right now and just like the state of football with your two former rivals in Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league you're gonna have to be some sort of a Texas team I, I look for this team because they're going to get blown out by LSU on the road next week that's a fact um and then the circle you know the wagons are coming after that uh, I think the momentum has kind of come off Sam Pittman. Uh, I think it's really come off all, you know, CEO idea, head coaches. Like you just have to have a, a speciality. I mean, I don't know whether it has to be a defense or offense, but it's not working for them. Their recruiting has been pretty average. Um, they've just been kind of the same team for like two or three years now. And uh, it, it's not working for them at all. I, I, I predict if we're talking about coaching changes, this might be one of the first ones.
2: I can sense that coming as well. Um, you know, he's an offensive line coach. You know, you're already not really going to get the benefit of the doubt, as you know, people didn't think he was necessarily like equipped for the job when he was hired. But he's an offensive line coach for a team that struggles with offensive line play. That that's not going to do you any favors. I mean, Jefferson averaged like seven yards per attempt. Again, I'm just going through it trying to make sense of it in real time. I will go back and watch it. But again, like you mentioned, that's not a good BYU team. Like that, that's a bad, bad, a bad loss. BYU team. It's a bad yeah. loss. Man, that's a that's a tough one. Uh the rest of the games are kind of snoozers. I do feel bad for uh our Commodores. They lose at UNLV, could be a long year for Clark Lee. They lost 40 points to UNLV. Um, and then AM beat the hell out of UL Monroe, and you had some sleepers elsewhere. But that was really kind of it around the SEC in college football. I guess I what am I doing? I'm missing the most important one, the most important game opponent wise. No, South Florida, Alabama, South Florida, bad South oh, Florida team. Yeah, Alabama wins 17 to 3. I caught a little bit of this game before the delay pieces of it during the old Miss game, but not enough to go back again. Probably one I'll try to watch some of. It seems like they maybe jumped the shark with this quarterback situation by benching Milrow after the Texas loss. Because, I mean, from a confidence and even just like a mentality standpoint, that's got to hurt. But then they they bail on Buckner and go to Simpson. And it, it just seemed like they panicked there instead of just kind of going through some aches and pains with uh, Milrow because the other two guys clearly are not it.
1: No, they're they are clearly not it. Uh Buckner is most certainly not it. Uh Simpson flashed here or there in a pretty wet, weird environment, uh, for you to kind of start playing your first real you know snaps in college. Uh so I'm gonna give him a slight benefit of the doubt. Uh, but I just don't see them there, there's no way they don't play Milro against on Saturday. I mean, he has to be the best of their options as it is, especially with an Ole Miss team that's not exactly, you know known for stopping the run uh they have an absolute dynamite weapon back there that i just don't think you can holster for this weekend um the other two guys i just i would pray if i'm pete golding i am just on my knees praying that they start anyone but milro for saturday um i don't think that'll be the case at all Um, uh, but no they have real problems the offensive line is just fine which is like the second year in a row. This offensive at least wide, the second year has been the case. Um, they don't have a whole lot of playmakers at wide receiver or tight end. All four or five running backs are all kind of the same guy. They're all very competent, very capable and decent, but they're none of them are game breakers. Uh, I mean, it's just the offense has been a slog. I mean, it's been really, really bad. And just like BYU, South Florida sucks. Like they're in a you know, first-year head coach. They are not good. If they were even – maybe like average they might have won this football game if they were just average but they are terrible so alabama comes away with a win um defensively they're still really good alabama i mean they're they are not bad uh on the back end there's some worries there of course but you're gonna have to be an elite playmaker to you know make it mean something and i think dart that's going to be the biggest question going in on whether he can do that or not um but that was not an impressive showing
2: I mean just to put it into context South Florida's other two games they lost 41-24 at Western Kentucky and they beat Florida A&M by 14 points last week. Not great. Not not great. Which I guess kind of in closing with the whole good way to wrap it up is like what do you make of I saw it opened as a 11 and a half point favorite and then it really kind of like settled around the 6-7 mark. What did you make of this line? I I kind of maybe I won't say saw it coming, but I knew it wouldn't be as small as I thought. I knew like we were probably overreacting to how Alabama looked the last two weeks. But what did you make of what the opening line was and what is kind of your outlook on this game?
1: Well, let me look at what it really is, because I saw that 11 and a half and, and couldn't
2: find it anywhere else after.
1: Yeah. So, like, I mean, for people that don't know this, a line would never open for a game like this at 11 and a half and then move five points through ten and seven to get to six and a half. So I I don't know what the official opening line is as of right now, um. But to be quite honest, if I'm Ole Miss, y- you have every opportunity to win this football game. I don't care who the quarterback is, um, whether it's Milrow or Simpson or Buckner, um. This is this is the biggest game of the Lane and era. That that's an absolute fact. Not because. You know, it's Alabama or it's earlier. He struggled to beat, you know, teams he's not supposed to beat. But if you just look at the West, I mean, you've got these two games coming up in front of you. You beat Alabama, you have room for error. Now, there ain't a, a lot of it, but you do have it. You lose to Alabama, and then, you know, you've got a gauntlet coming the next week. And that can just really derail a team that, you know, so far has come together and been great in adversity. You've seen it two weeks in a row with games that are probably closer than they thought. Um, but this is a big one. I think they can beat Alabama. I, I actually, this is one of the very few times. Being an old Miss person, I think 2015 was the other one where I was like, you know what? I'm kind of not hoping we beat Alabama. I'm kind of almost expecting that we do. Um, and that'll be up to the team to play. You know, Kiffin game plan wise, he's got to be there. Charlie's got to make the right plays. Dart can't force it on the road and in a hostile environment. They have not been a very good road team. I say it every time on here. Um, but they have every ability to beat this team next week. Uh, They just have to go out there and do it. I mean, there's not much more to it to add than that. Uh, I'm not scared of any part of this Alabama team, except for maybe Dallas Turner. Uh, They have to be healthy, which we talked about earlier. I don't know if they're going to be. Um, That will absolutely hamper their ability to do what they need to do. Um, But look, this is a year where the West is absolutely there for you. And sometimes you have these games late. Sometimes you have them early, but it's absolutely there for you. And a point in time where it might never be there for you again, if we're being completely honest. With Texas coming in the way that they are, Oklahoma looks to be more competent this year, despite a very weird levy situation last week. Um, This is a moment that you have to absolutely take it because this is not going to be there very often in the foreseeable future for you.
2: I view it exactly the same way. It feels like an opportunity that if they do not win this game, and I can't believe it in August or July or when the schedule came out last year, I would ever be saying this, but it would feel like a missed, a real missed opportunity if Ole Miss did not win this game given the current state of Alabama, which is why like the preseason stuff is so ridiculously difficult to actually forecast because i figured like okay they'll lose to alabama hey maybe you can catch lsu at home and then obviously they'll probably lose going to athens and like how that's changed in just three weeks is remarkable to me i'm looking at this uh the two places i checked say like six and a half through seven and a half yeah the only place i found that said the original 11 and a half was a usa today back site and that doesn't have count. an extremely high opinion of uh gannett and usa today If coincidentally last year, I think it was actually 11 and a half, what do you want to bet? Whatever intern for USA Today went and found the 2022 line and put that out there and just claimed it open as that?
1: Uh, It's not, it's in the cards for sure. I'm going to say
2: that's the only way it makes any sense. So, right around a touchdown, and that seemingly makes sense. But yeah, you're right. This is there for the taking, and you have to go do it because if you, it's a big swing game, like you mentioned, margin for error. If they win it, then you got Georgia and LSU as your two perceived toughest tests after that. That's not the only, you know, challenge left in the Absolutely season by not. any by any stretch, but the two main ones. You're like, "Okay, now you kind of got a little wiggle room to play with whereas if you lose it, then you got LSU at home and Georgia on the road still remaining on the schedule and it looks a lot more daunting." So, this is going to be a fascinating week. I cannot wait. Um and it is going to be a massively important game for Ole Miss and like you described it, I think a very real opportunity to be had. No, yeah,
1: I mean, last – I always think about it this way when I'm looking at, like, what happened with Texas and Alabama. You know, Texas last year probably should have won the football game against Alabama at home. Almost almost surely should have won the game. Um, and Texas is better this year, and Alabama is worse this year, and they went and kind of put it to him in Bryant-Denny. at Ole Miss absolutely should have won against Alabama last year at home. I mean, it was one of the very few games the entire year where – Ole Miss had a positive win percentage in a game that they lost, which is the Bill Connolly numbers that comes out after the games. I think Oldness is a better football team than last year, and I think Alabama is worse. So whether you can do it or not like Texas did, I don't know, but it's absolutely there. I think they – I mean, I'm not going to say they should win the games. That's a little hyperbolic, but they absolutely can win the game.
2: It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a fun week, and I can't. Uh, I can't wait to see how it turns out. Well, now, God, I can't talk today. Now to wrap up, we go to the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. We had a break last week uh, in the English Premier League. Um, Now, the back on games this week, there were matches across the weekend. Um, Doesn't appear much has changed. I did watch a little bit in the morning of Manchester City. Against maybe it was West Ham and West Ham got West up one-nothing, and then uh Manchester City kind of just did what they did. They hit him with a goal early in the second half and then end up winning the game or match, excuse me, going away. Um, seems like uh just Manchester City's league and everyone else at the top. Has anything changed for you at the top of the league?
1: No, uh, it has not. Uh, they've looked pretty salty. They've brought in the new kid, uh Jeremy Doku from he's a Belgian guy that was playing. I think actually in Belgium, but he's been kind of a superstar in the making. They fit him in uh, pretty seamlessly, which is something that many other teams like mine cannot do. Um, so, no, they, they look pretty staunchy. That was a game on the road in a pretty hostile environment against a team that's played incredibly well to start off the season. Um, they they look like the class of this league so far.
2: Going toward the middle, actually, I'll just go to the bottom. That's always my favorite. Are uh, the guys at Lutton – uh, Luton, however you want to say it, town. Really rough uh start to the Premier League. They played four matches, lost all four of them. They've scored ten or two goals and allowed ten. Um, I imagine this is probably a situation as cool of a story as it is that they would just be back down. This does not seem like they have any sort of staying power.
1: No, I don't think so. They actually had like ample opportunities to get a result in this game. Um, but they just don't have the horses right now. They're going straight back down. I think we'll that'll be a constant theme of. You know, they're going down, and who are gonna be the other two? Um, so a really cool story, really cool environment. uh really cool game to watch on TV with how small it is in the stadium and everything. It, it's pretty unique. Uh, but they're they're not good enough, simply.
2: Looking toward the middle, uh, Wolverhampton, the Portuguese team kind of slipping back toward the relegation zone. Everything else seems to make sense. We talked about Everton, they're actually in relegation currently. Again, we're only five matches into this sucker, but uh that's a pretty big club there. Um, the really what sticks out is the Manchester United and Chelsea being at 13th and 14th respectively in this league. What the hell is going on? I know United's had a little bit of a tough schedule early on, or maybe that was Newcastle, but what the hell's going on with two clubs I'd heard of before we started doing this segment?
1: Uh well, we'll do Chelsea first, so I can get on a little United rant. Uh Chelsea is just simply bad. They are not good. They have spent are they bad a- and
2: expensive too?
1: They're, they've spent over a billion dollars in the last two markets to Good revamp course. this team. They've hired a new coach. Uh, they just have no goal scorers. You know they had they bought a bunch of midfielders and wingers, and the one striker they bought it just has not been it. Uh, they are very, very average. They are going absolutely nowhere. Um, Man United. I'm not sure they're really any better. Um, we had another issue with another right winger. We're calling it the curse of the right winger, where they seem to really enjoy assaulting their uh, female significant others. Oh, Jesus. Uh, he is- <laughs> so Anthony, who was worth almost 100 million last year, is not playing with the squad anymore because of some allegations of abuse. So we're down another right winger. Um, we played Brighton, the team I always talk about. Fun stat for you Manchester United's squad, their starting 11 was worth, I think, over 400 million. And Brighton's, maybe not that much. I think it was like 300 or 400. And Brighton's starting lineup was worth 17 million. And they went into Old Trafford and broke a 27 game win streak. And honestly, it wasn't as close as three to one. Uh, They absolutely outclassed, I mean, Man United in every single facet of the game. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of issues going on with United right now. They're officially not selling the club anymore. It's been took taken off the market because they did not get the valuation they thought. Um, it, it's no bueno right now. Um, I don't know if it's as bad as Chelsea from at least an on field product, but in terms of just straight vibes, it's about as bad as it can get.
2: That how rare is it? I know it's early in the year, but to have both of those clubs, I think of when I think of the Premier League, like those two clubs, you know, Liverpool Full arsenal, Man City, like having two <coughs> clubs like that, that far down in the bottom, uh, even it being early on in the year, like how, how rare is this to have both of these clubs being kind of disasters at the same time?
1: Uh, I mean, it's pretty rare. I think United has lost three of their first five games for the first time ever in this competition. Oh, wow. Uh, so I would say it's pretty rare. Uh, of course, my knowledge and history of a lot of these clubs is not that lengthy, uh, but that's enough to know that it's a pretty big problem um so i mean i don't know if i see either club coming back up you know united has a lot of injuries i will give them that from some guys that they've they've brought in so that's not nothing um and i think there's a little room for improvement chelsea all those guys are healthy they're just no good um so i i don't know what to expect from these teams going forward but not impressive so far
2: wow um, looking toward the top. You mentioned Brighton. That's the one you've described multiple times as the most well-run club in the league. You mentioned the stat about the payroll. Is this just kind of a lesson of like, yeah, you need like, obviously money trumps everything else, but it can't just be money. You have to know what you're doing. And if you're terribly run, you can just be bad and expensive versus, Hey, there's opportunity if you are well-run uh, you know, even if you don't have the payroll to actually be a little bit more efficient than the other teams.
1: Uh, they're the best run, you know, franchise organization right now that I know in like pro sports. I mean, oh, wow. truly, like truly, I mean, they are on the same level as the Atlanta Braves as the golden state warriors, as the nuggets, as you know, the Patriots in their heyday just with the, and that's, it's really more of a baseball analogy than a football. Cause there's not technically a salary cap Uh in the premier league. There's a, some financial fair play ramifications that make no sense to anybody in classic, you know, Ole Miss, I mean, not Ole Miss, I'm sorry, in classic, you know, soccer fashion. Um, But just the way that they do their business, the way that they scout players, the way that they sell their players. I mean, look, $17 million for a starting lineup, they had six players that were worth $0 to them. They either came up or they were come on a free transfer or just wanted – like, it's insane. This is just – pretty unprecedented they've been doing it for like three or four years now and I think this is very much their best team Uh, I mean they sold their supposedly best player earlier in the summer they have just reloaded pretty easily pretty seamlessly their coach left and they reloaded that position they just been hitting every single thing out of the park it's honestly so so impressive that I'm fascinated by this team and to see what they could be uh, in the future
2: This has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner. Appreciate the time, dude. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week.
1: Absolutely. See you then.
2: All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Weldon's time. As always, looking forward to an awesome week of uh, prep before this Alabama game. Got tons of content coming your way. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you for listening and sticking around. As always, we'll be back on Wednesday.